Hi, and welcome to Resurrection Church, where Dr. Joseph G. Matera is the senior pastor and presiding bishop. We are committed to serving our community and the community abroad. We pray that the word you are about to hear will be a blessing to your life and that you allow the Holy Spirit to open your heart and receive what the Lord is speaking to you. Well, good morning. How are we doing, church? That's good. Uh, I have had a lot of coffee today and an Americano. Um, and so I'm really excited and loud. And if you're new with us, I just want to, again, as uh, Pastor Millie said, we just want to extend a welcome to you guys and also welcome everyone who is downstairs watching and everyone who's watching online. Uh, we love you guys. And a huge shout out to half of the church that's in Florida right now, because I feel like everyone's in Florida. And so I know you're sitting there on the beach right now watching me up here in the frozen cold. Um, we love you. We are praying for repentance for you. I'm joking. Uh, my family, actually, we just got back from Florida. We spent five days down there, and, and it was a blessing. And we got to surprise Judah and Allie with a trip to Disney World. And I'm telling you, it was the, the cutest thing because we wrote, we wrote out these little cards, and Judah's reading it. And it was from Mickey, and it's like, good morning, Judah. Um, make sure that you get dressed today and eat a big breakfast. You're going to Disney. And whenever he got to Disney, he's like, I don't know this word. I'm like, Diz, Disney. He's like, Disney. It's like, I don't get it, Dad. <laughs> I don't, and, I, and I kid you not, for three minutes, we're like, son, you're going to Disney. And, and he's like, but we're not even near Disney. I'm like, hey, buddy, we can see Disney out, out the window right there. Like, that's Epcot over there. I know you don't know what Epcot is, but that's Epcot. And... uh and then he was like, we're, we're going to Disney. And then it was just like, um, it was fun. It was exhausting. I, I was telling someone earlier, I clocked 20,000 steps that day. My legs were sore, um, but it was good. It was good. And so it's good to be back. Hey, guys, I've got a, a few things that I, I just want to encourage us um, before we dive into today's message. One is I'm going to be asking for prayer for me. Uh, but then, too, I want to address a few things that we know that is going on politically and um, really just globally uh, right now. And so the, the first thing I want to talk about is just kind of reiterate what we were talking about with Lent. Lent starts this upcoming Tuesday. Uh, March 2nd is Ash Wednesday, and Pastor Gary is going to be kicking it off. And I was talking to Regina, and one of the things Regina also suggested, and Regina Stanford, I thought that that was a really cool idea. Uh, and I just want to kind of throw this out there as a challenge, is what would it be like if we as individuals took communion every day during the season of Lent to just kind of reconnect our hearts with the heart of our Father in preparation of celebrating the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ? which is Easter Sunday, which is about seven weeks away. So mark your calendar. And so we just want to challenge you guys to really press in during this Lent season. Um, and the other thing that I want to ask for prayer for is, is for me, uh, I am going to be headed to Israel um, for uh, almost two weeks period, leading a team of uh, 13 people. Um, and so if you guys would just be praying for our safety, pray that no one tests positive because we have to take like 72 PCR tests 
while we're there. Uh, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And I had COVID like six weeks ago, but I still got to, you know, so we're following the rules. Uh, but just be praying for us while we're over there in the Holy Land and that God would encounter us and just really speak to us. And then the other thing is I just want to encourage all of us. We all know about what's going on with the Russian tension and the Ukrainian tension and NATO and um, China and uh, Taiwan and, uh, and just everything that's taking place, man. Our world is hurting. Our world is hurting. And this is an hour for the church to rise up, to rise up in prayer, to rise up in obedience, and to rise up in love. And so regardless of where you stand on the issue, I'm not here to talk about who's right and who's wrong. I'm here to ask us as a body of Christ to lean in and to pray, to pray and to extend our hands where we can. So with that said, let's just pray. Father, we, we thank you for today. And God, I just ask as we dive into your word that you would be glorified, that you would be lifted up, and above all else, God, that your gospel would be proclaimed. And so we love you in Jesus' name. And everybody says, amen. Amen. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we got a lot to cover. Uh, Just so you know, if you were going to be following along with me on the big Bible up here, that's totally cool. Um, I'm going to spend a lot of time on like a few verses and it's going to seem like, oh my gosh, we've got 24 verses to go through and he's taking forever. Just bear with me. The latter part of this is going to go really quick. All right. And so whenever it's one thirty, and I'm only on verse three, just extend me some grace. That's a joke, by the way. Paul writing to the church in Corinth, his, his second letter to the church in Corinth. Um, and, and Pastor Joyce mentioned last week about how he was uh, essentially calling them to a place of repentance. And that place of repentance in chapter 7 was ended up producing good works and, and, and deeds and, and producing righteousness. They were, they were following the ways of Jesus more and more. And he continues on. He says, we want you to know, brothers, about... The grace of God that has been given among the churches in Macedonia. Now, let me pause because, okay, what are you talking about, Paul? We're in Corinth and you're now talking about Macedonia. Like, what are are we talking about right here? Um, Paul, in the next two chapters, is going to end up drawing an, an illustration or a comparison, so to speak, of the church in Corinth compared to the church in Macedonia. Now, if you, if you know anything about the church in Macedonia, you know that, that it was an amazing church, but it was a very, very impoverished church. It was a very impoverished church in um, the, that, the northern region of Greece, if you're looking at it on a map. And it, it was a lot of Gentiles coming from a lot of different backgrounds, and God was moving mightily. We see in Acts chapter 16, verses 10 through 17, verse 15, you kind of see the birth of the church in Macedonia. You've got the church of Philippi, which we know that Paul's letter to the church in Philippians, uh, the church in Philippi is the only letter he did not rebuke anyone in. And then you've got the church of Thessalonica. I can never say that. We practiced this last That word right there. That word. And then you've got the church of Berna as well um, that ended up being birthed out of Paul's missionary journey. But what I love about it the most is the church in Philippi. 
Because the church in Philippi started with um, Lydia, who was this rich, wealthy fashion designer. Um, she was all up and down Fifth Ave in, in Philippi, all right? And then, and then you've got um, a jailer, a jailer who is a PBR drinking, I'm going to do my duty and my service to Rome and erg, you know, and I want to retire and have a bunch of land and, and no one bother me. And then a possessed, demon-possessed girl. And, and God takes Lydia, this jailer, and this demon-possessed girl and says, hey, Paul, here's your church plant team. Boom. And the church is born. And the church in Philippi ended up being the gateway out into the, um, the, the northern region and eventually reaching out into the European region as well. But it was, it was amazing because it was one of the first times you saw the gospel of Jesus Christ cross over socioeconomic backgrounds, gender backgrounds, and racial boundaries that were there. And, and what happened was the gospel came forth and you've got rich and poor and enslaved and free and blue collar and white collar. All of these people coming together under the name and the banner of Jesus Christ. It reminds me in Revelation where um, John the Revelator writes about how it's every tribe, every nation and every tongue that's going to be crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty, right? And, and so we see this start to take place in Philippi, and so you open up Philippians, which is a coffee cup book of the Bible, meaning if you don't know what that means, simply all of the like um, slogans and coffee cup verses that we throw, they all come from, from Philippians, you know, great, um, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? Everyone's Tim Tebow in that, and you know, they're, okay, all right, some of y'all, who's Tim, Tim Tebow? How about this one? He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Y'all know that one? Yeah, Philippians 1.6. Paul was writing to Lydia and writing to this jailer, this guard, and this demon-possessed girl who got set free and started a church in Philippi. And so he's drawing this comparison or this reflection, might I say, to the church in Corinth. He's saying, hey, I want to tell you about the brothers and sisters in Macedonia and the grace that they have been given and they have been received. All right, you see how I just spent 10 minutes on one verse? Don't freak out, okay? Don't freak out. Here we go. Verse 2. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty had overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their Part. And so he's saying that the church in Macedonia experienced the grace of God, and even in their hardship, even in their affliction, what ended up happening is God started moving, and there was a joy that bubbled up, and that joy ended up producing a generosity for the kingdom of God. Church, if we don't learn to be generous with what God has given us, we will never be generous when we have a lot of money. And, and I mean this for real. I'm trying to teach my son this. He's like, I got $116. And I'm like, all right, son, let me tell you about tithing. And he's, why do I give 10% to God? That doesn't make any sense. And, you know, I'm like, buddy, it does. Just trust me. Just trust me. Like, you'll, you'll get there. But, um, but if, if we don't learn here's the problem with us. Here's the problem. If, if we are closed-fisted and we say, this is what 
I've got. This is what I've earned and what I've made, and I'm going to protect it, and I'm going to keep it. Like, the problem is, is that when it comes to generosity, we start to make excuses about why we can't give. The, the problem with that is that we start to prioritize other things instead of the kingdom of God. Uh, Michael, that's not true. Oh, let me follow your pocketbook and I can tell you where you prioritize. Let's pull up your Chase bank account. Give me your routing number two. <laughs> and then here's another thing. The other problem is we become a slave to our money. And, and if we can't learn to be generous with $100, how are we ever going to be generous with a million dollars? Because it's the same principle, it's just more zeros. It's just more zeros. Now you're sitting here saying, Michael, why on earth are we talking about money? We'll get to that in just a minute. Let me continue on. Verses 3 and 4. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means. Again, this is the church in Macedonia. Of their own accord. Verse 4. Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And so he says, they gave according to their means, meaning um, they gave what they could, which, which we would say that is that like a standard of giving would be 10%, right? And then they gave above and beyond that as well. And that's what we would call an offering right there. And, and here's why they gave, because they knew that when they were giving, they were sowing into something that was going to last for eternity. You, you guys catch that? Like, like oftentimes we, listen, I love fashion, all right? I do. I'm wearing a leather jacket that my wife bought me from H&M for $23 on sale, but it looks like a hundred bucks, all right? I, I love fashion. I do. But listen, if all I'm doing is buying a bunch of clothes and shirts and, and shoes, what's going to happen? They're going to fall apart. The white shoes are going to get dirty. Like the, the jeans are going to have holes ripped in them and not the ones that come pre-ripped, right? Those are like, they have extra laces to where they don't rip anymore, you know? It's fashion. Don't hate on me. But like, it's going to end up disappearing. It's the same thing with the car, right? How many of us own cars? I know we're in the city, and so it's like three of us. Okay, three of us, literally, all right? All right, that's a bad analogy, so I'm just going to keep moving on then, all right? Verses 5, verse 5. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. In verse 7, and this is where I think it's going to get interesting. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, and in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. And so he's saying something that the Macedonians got was they, they surrendered to the will of the Lord. They walked in obedience towards what God was saying. They spoke up when they felt the Lord putting something on their heart. They gave beyond their means whenever God would put an impression on them. I was on the subway yesterday on the E-train. I'm sitting there. And I get in the subway, and this guy's reading this book called Crazy Faith. And, and I'm like, oh, I, I, I know of that. And, you know, I know the book and, and stuff. And so I'm like, hey, man, you, um, you, you, 
you like the book? And he's like, oh, dude, I love the book. I read the other book, Relationship Goals. Have you read it? And I'm like, like, no, I, I haven't. And he's like, well, you should. And I'm like, all right, well, that's what I'm asking you. Should I read it? Should I buy it or not? You know? Um, but, but we get on, you know, another five minutes or so down, down the way, and, and he goes, hey, listen, um, I told him I'm a pastor and, and what's happening between Brooklyn and Albany and Staten Island and just what, how God's working and stuff. Um, and he goes, hey, man, how do you know if you hear the voice of God? And I was like, that's a really good question. That's a really good question. And I gave him from my perspective. I was like, man, um, sometimes I just know. It's just like this little voice or this feeling or this this hunch that you get that you just need to do something. And as you do it, you, you start to have a peace about it. See, what I've learned is if any voice inside of you starts to cause anxiety, fear, worry, or condemnation, that's not the voice of the Lord. That's the voice of the enemy trying to bring confusion. And, and so I'm sitting there having this conversation, and he's telling me how he's, he was a Broadway actor, and, and, and he's, uh, I, I hope I'm getting this right, you know, he's, he's trying to get out to L.A. to, to you know, pursue, I guess, movies or, or more in the acting industry and stuff. And so we, we had a, ended up having a great conversation for about 20 minutes about Jesus. But what would have happened if I never would have said something to him? And so he, he traded information with me. I traded information with him. And so hopefully we who knows what God's going to do from a simple act of, hey, tell me about the book you're reading. See, God puts opportunities around all of us to walk in obedience. The question is, are we going to or are we not? And then Paul says this. He says, I want you to excel in faith, right? I want to excel in faith, man. I want to have crazy, ridiculous, audacious faith that God is going to do what he said he's going to do, and there is nothing impossible for my God. Don't tell me he can't do it. I love that song. Don't tell me he can't do it. I was talking to John earlier in, in, in cassette. We were talking about singing and stuff. I was like, you don't want me to sing, so I'm not going to get up here and sing. But, but Brandon Lake, he's like, don't tell me he can't do it. I'm like, yeah, don't tell him he can't do it because he can do it. He parted the Red Seas. He came down from heaven. Like he caused water to end up coming from a rock. Don't tell me my God can't heal. Don't tell me my God can't redeem. Don't tell me my God can't save. Don't tell me my God can't restore the family. Don't tell me that. Because I know he can. I know he can. And I want to have that faith and that expectation that regardless of what's happening around me, regardless of the circumstances that I might be feeling, I can step into that moment and excel in my faith because of the joy and the audacity and the glory that God has deposited inside of me. The other thing he says is to excel in speech. Are we going there? We going there. Come on, don't tell me you have never said a, a, a naughty word. Some of y'all said it this morning on the way to church to your kids. Get dressed! Beep. How's the fire alarm? Like, how, how often? Come on, let's, let's be honest. I, there's this girl I knew back in Texas. Anytime someone would say something inappropriate or negative or, or, or just in, in, in a, a, a way that was condemning, she'd just be like, Ephesians 4.29. I'm like, what does Ephesians 4.29 mean? Don't let anything unwholesome come out of your mouth, but only what is edifying, lifting up to the body of Christ. 
And I'm, I'm telling you, I'm, and so I'm sitting there driving down the interstate, and I'm like, you moron, Ephesians 24, 29, Michael. And I'm like, get behind. Okay, that is the word of God, you know? But it, in, it, it ingrains. But, but how many of us know that the Bible talks about us having the power to speak life and death through our tongue, yet we are so quick to curse and to condemn other people. And what Paul is saying, I want you to excel in a faith that is pleasing to God. And I want you to excel in a speech that is pleasing to God. He doesn't stop there. He says, I want you to excel in knowledge. I want you to have an understanding of the lordship of Jesus Christ, of the holiness of Jesus Christ. Because the greater your knowledge and understanding gets, the greater your worship becomes. The greater perspective you have of God, the greater your faith comes, the greater your joy comes, and something starts to happen on the inside of you, and man, it's just like, I I don't know everything about God, but let me tell you what I do know about God. He is sovereign, and the train of his robe fills the temple. He is moving, even though you may not see it, I know my God is doing something, and that knowledge starts to grow, but then he says, I want you to excel in earnestness, meaning have an urgency. Man, I wonder how many of us were quick a few weeks ago to get out of here and go watch the Cowboys play. I'm sorry, who was playing in the Super Bowl again? Um, How many of us were so quick to go watch the Super Bowl? But man, it's like church, we wake up and it's just like, I got to get to church today. I need my coffee. I got to go Libre, get an Americano. Walk in there like dead men walk in there like, hi, good morning, how are you? I need a coffee. Man, we should have an earnestness to get in the presence of God. We should have an earnestness to be with the people of God. We should have an earnestness to get into a life group and to be in community with one another and allow that to transform us. And then he says, I want you to excel in love. We'll get back to that. I have a lot to say on that in verses 8 and 9. And then he says... All of this so that you can get this grace, understand this grace. Meaning, Corinthians, you guys have got a lot of stuff going for you right now. You're getting your act together. You're starting to listen. You're starting to follow Jesus more and more. But you need to work on your faith and on your speech and on your knowledge and earnestness and your love and to have a better understanding of the grace that the church in Macedonia is doing. See, isn't that what it's all about? Is that grace. Tapping into the grace of God, the love of God, and the beauty of God. But then he says this in verses 8 and 9. I'm about to ruffle some feathers, but it's okay. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also be genuine. (sighs) For you know the grace of our Lord. This is what I love about Paul. I I just got to stop for a minute. We'll get there. I got seven minutes and 58 seconds. So this is what I love about Paul. Paul has a way of just like going for the jugular, just like, hey, work on this, work on this, work on this, and love, let your love be genuine. Just like, man, Paul, that hurts. Because then you start like examining yourself. Do I I really want to be nice to this person? Do I really want to forgive this person? Do, do I really want to walk in obedience towards God? Do I really, do I really want to give the homeless person who I know is really homeless and I feel this leading of the Holy Spirit in me? Do I really want to give this person 
some money and pr- produce generosity. Do, do and then Paul says this. So he's like, here, let me go for the jugular, but let me just take it a little bit further. For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, you're not about to talk about Jesus, are you? Because that's our standard of grace. That's our standard of love. Like it wasn't, Paul wasn't saying, go be like me. He was saying, I want you to be like Jesus, who humbled himself to the point of death, death on a cross because of his love for you and his love for me. Because of his love for the person you didn't vote for, the person you did vote for. For his love for our current governor and our former governor. For his love for the aunt that you don't talk to anymore because she hurt you or abused you. Or the uncle who you just think is a crazy alcoholic. Yeah, see, Jesus died on that cross for them. And and for us to try to take anything away from that is us robbing of the simplicity of the gospel and the grace of our Lord in Jesus Christ. And like Paul addressed earlier, I believe it was in chapter 4, don't let this grace be in vain. So, So he says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. So that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Now, he isn't talking about being rich, bling, bling, every time I turn around the corner. He isn't talking about that. Some of y'all know that song, you need to repent right now. That's all I know of the song, it really is. It's like, uh, not so that you could be rich filled with a bunch of materialistic things, which I'm not saying is bad. I want to make that very clear. But so that we would be rich and having enough in Jesus. Because, man, he is the only thing that's going to satisfy you. He is the only thing that's going to cause your heart to be broken and to be filled at the same time. He's the only thing that's going to end up giving you that great joy. He's the only thing that's going to end up moving you to a place of generosity. He is the only thing that's going to end up sustaining you and satisfying you whenever you're down in the deep pits. He's the only thing that's going to end up humbling you whenever you're at the mountaintops and you need to be humbled a little bit. And what Paul is saying is if you want to be a church that loves, if you want to be a people that love, then look no further than our Lord Jesus Christ, who is our Savior, as your example. Example, And humble yourself and allow that love to be washed over you. You see, here's the thing. The moment we ask this question right here is the moment the standard goes much, much higher. And you could ask this literally in any situation. What does love require of me? Coworker, just ticking you off. What does love require of me? MTA canceled two D trains this morning on the way to church. What does love require of me? Someone has abused me or betrayed me or stabbed me in the back. What does love require of me? See, the moment we start asking that question, the moment that the new covenant becomes a higher standard for us to amount to. See, what about the 613 Old Testament laws, commands? No, no, no. 
that one command right there, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That was Jesus. That was Jesus. What does love require of you? I want you to really think about that. What does love really require? Is that my phone? No, it wasn't. Somebody else, just tell Jesus we said what's up. I'm not trying to call out anybody. I want to make sure, like, I apologize. I promise. What does love require of me? Verses 10 through 15. And in the same matter, I gave my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do his work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by you're completing it out of what you have. Verse 12. For in the readiness is, for if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what the person has, not according to what he does not have. Catch that. Verse 13. For I do not mean that others should be eased and of your burden, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need. Talking about the Corinthians supplying the church in Macedonia. For their needs, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathers much has nothing left over, and whoever gathers little has no lack. Now, my kids, Judah and Allie, they fight all the time, all the time, about what's fair. Like, I'm trying to think of something. Something that we forgot to give them on the trip. A, a stupid toy yesterday. Like, literally, I'm about to leave the house, and Allie's like, that's not fair. Huh. And Judah's like, you've had it for three minutes. And, and finally, I just went in. I grabbed the toy, and I took it out. What are you doing, Dad? I'll tell you what's fair. I bought the stupid thing. Be quiet, you know? Like, I'm going to show you fairness. You can't do that. Oh, watch me. No, I, don't, I don't talk quite like that to them, okay? Right? Right? Speech. Speech. But I'll, I'll show you fairness. But what, what Paul's saying right here is, Corinthians, out of your abundance, you could supply the needs for the church in Macedonia through your generosity. You could take care of their needs, and the gospel can continue to get advanced. Now, this is something I want to say, because right now we're talking about money just a little bit, and I'm not going to do a big offering at the end or anything like that. We've already done our offering for the day. But Jesus talked about generosity, or should I say money, more than anything else in his ministry. More than 25% of the examples that he gave were about money. And why? Because he knew that your wallet or your pocketbook your Apple card could easily be what you become a slave to. And he knew that if he could address this with his disciples, and they would not rely on this, but they would rely on him to supply every need, then this could be used as a tool for advancing the kingdom of God. But far too often... We're a slave to this. Look, I'll be honest with you. 
I, I was talking to someone yesterday. I said, listen, I, I don't know why. I'm just like worrying. I'm freaking out financially. And then I do my budget and everything's fine. I don't know why. It's like, Michael, that's, that's a spirit of fear that's coming upon you. That's the enemy trying to say, hey, this matters more than that matters. And far too often, though. Now, you may be sitting here saying, well, Michael, I don't have a lot of money. Well, do you have a lot of credit card debt? If you got a lot of credit card debt, I think you're still enslaved to something. And, and this, we cannot be a church that's close-fisted. We cannot be a people that are closed-fisted. I'm about to wrap this thing up. Ruber's coming up in just a second. He's going to make it real spiritual. But we, we cannot be a church that says, this is mine and this is what I have and I'm going to protect it. No one's going to get in over here because Jesus was like this. He was open-handed with everything that he had to the point that he hung on that cross for you and for me. Oh, there, there he is. He's getting all set up. Let me, let me scoot over for you. Y'all give it up for Ruber. <laughs> let me close out, and I want to just share something that I felt like the Lord really highlighted to me yesterday as we close this out. Verses 16 to, through 24. Told you the end was going to go quick. He says, but thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he is going to you on his own accord. With him, we are also sending the brother who is famous among you, all of the churches, who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. And not only that, but he has also appointed, been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our good will. Verse 20. We take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered to us. For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. So what's happening right here is Paul starting to talk about how their generosity is paving the way for more missionaries, for more church planners, for more pastors to be released into the advancement of the gospel, the advancement of of the ministry, the advancement of the kingdom of God. Do you guys realize that whenever you gave, whenever Bishop Joe was over in Lebanon, you were not just giving so that they could have a great time in Lebanon, but you were giving to resource pastors in Lebanon so that the gospel could have an impact. And any person who was has embraced the saving grace of Jesus Christ through your financial giving is something that is linked to you for all of eternity. Like, do we, do we realize that? Do, do we understand that? Do we, do we recognize what's, what's happening? The big picture. It isn't about God needing our money. It's about us using what God has given us 
to advance the kingdom for his sake, for God's sake, so that we would not see a generation burn in hell. Well, pastor, that's harsh. No, that's the truth. That's the truth. And we play around with it so often and we just think, oh, it's somebody else's job. Somebody else will take care of it. No, it's very possible that God brought that person into your sphere of influence so that you can use whatever gifting or resource that God has given you to make an eternal impact in that individual. It is, it's time for us to stop pushing it off to somebody else. Oh, the church down the road, they can handle that. They can take care of that. No! I don't see that in my Bible. You know what I see? I see a gospel that is ferocious and fierce and loving and brings conviction and repentance to bring transformation. And it produces joy and it produces a generous heart. And and then yesterday I'm sitting in the hotel and I'm waiting on Nathan to arrive and get, get done and um, I'm reading this, and this just stuck out to me. And I've, I wrote this sermon several weeks ago. So I'm like just reviewing my notes, and, and, um, and I'm reading this. And this one particular part stuck out. He says, and with them, we are sending our brother, whom we have often tested and found earnest in the many matters. Catch this. But who is now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. And I loved that. I, I was just like, that's it. That's it. That, like, God, that's it right there. And you're probably saying, Michael, what's it? This makes absolutely no sense. I'm about to tell you, all right? You just got to hold your horses. Let me finish reading. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. And as for our brothers, they are messengers of the churches and the glory of Christ. So give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you to these men three things that we see here, and I'm going to wrap this up, I promise. Number one is you see that Paul has taken this idea of love and how, number two, love then ends up producing joy and generosity. And then number three, that joy and generosity ends up producing a church that is seeing gospel expansion and multiplication through the funding and the resources of these churches. The gospel's going forth. Now, this is, this is, what I want to say. It's just genuinely from my heart. Verse 22. Let me just read this. But who is now, so we're sending our brother who, who's been tested, found earnest in many matters, but who is now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. I get asked this question a lot. Why on earth did you come to Brooklyn? Why on earth did you partner up with Res Church? What is God doing? Why on earth? And I, I was reading this. Oh, you're good. Here, I'll just grab my Bible. You're good. Go ahead, Esteban. Because of his, now more than ever, or now more earnest than ever, because of his great confidence in you. There we go. All right. <laughs> now I'm done. And, and it was just like it, it, it clicked yesterday while I'm sitting in the hotel room praying and re- reviewing my message and studying and making some final edits and stuff. 
I love this church. I love you guys. And I have got great confidence in what God is going to do in Resurrection Church in Brooklyn, New York. And I've got great confidence in what God is going to do in Staten Island at Resurrection Church. And I have great confidence in what God is going to do up in Albany through City Church. And I've got great confidence in what God is orchestrating between all three of these churches coming together as one to work together to lift up the name of Jesus. And I'm telling you, like, I, I love the people and I love this church and man it is my hope and it is my prayer that through what God does here will end up lasting hundreds if not thousands of years and generations that are going to go far beyond us for the kingdom's sake and for the glory's sake I am confident in what God is doing here I am confident in what God is doing in Staten Island and man I cannot wait I cannot wait and so I'm here to tell you church I'm with you I'm with you. And let's be a church that isn't this, but a church that's this. Saying, hey, I I don't have it all, but what I do have is from God's, and I'm going to be generous with what I have. And so we're going to bless some church planners. We're going to take care of those in needs. We're going to serve our community. We're going to invite people and be bold with that. We're going to be bold with our prayers, and we're going to be the most generous people around because God was so generous to us. Will you stand to your feet this morning? and I'm going to pray and if you need prayer for anything we have our prayer team who's going to come up here and they're going to be available for you and we're going to sing and we're going to make a declaration and we're going to believe for God to do something in this church so Heavenly Father God we love you and we thank you we worship you and you alone I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your peace. I thank you for your joy. I thank you for your generosity towards us. And God, I just ask that right now you would do something in this church community that we have never seen before. God, I just ask right now that you would just spark a new fire in us for evangelism that we have never seen before. Father, I just ask that we would be a generous church, God, who is known for giving hundreds of thousands of dollars away, God. Father, it may be impossible now to see it, but I don't serve a God of the impossible. I serve a God who makes the impossible possible. And so, Father, I thank you for Staten Island getting their building, God. I thank you for everything in Albany being taken care of with that building. Father, I thank you for expansion here in Brooklyn. I thank you for multiple services to come, God, because of what you are doing and how your spirit is moving and how you are breathing in this church, God. And Father, I thank you for a boldness rising up, a boldness rising up like never before for your kingdom's sake, for your gospel's sake. So, God, we worship you and you alone today. In Jesus' name. Listen, if you need prayer, I want you to come forward. If you need to embrace Jesus, you need to turn from something, you need healing, whatever it is, like we are a church that believes in the power of prayer, man. And as we sing, I want to challenge us. Let's worship. Amen. We pray that you were blessed by this word. 
For more information about our church, please visit our website at resurrectionchurchofny.com or give us a call at 718-436-0242. And be sure to follow us on Instagram at reschurchnyc. Take care and God bless.